Welcome to the Culture Happens podcast, where we discuss the future of work and company culture. My name is Chris Miller, and I'm the Director of Product Growth here at HubSpot. In this episode, we're going to be talking all about mentorship. We have an amazing guest who will be joining the conversation shortly, but before that, I want to just explain why I'm hosting this episode. As someone at HubSpot who manages people for a living, mentorship is sort of baked into my day-to-day job, and it's something I really enjoy doing. Uh, A few years ago, one of our employee resource groups, People of Color at HubSpot, we actually call it POCA for short, launched the POCA Mentorship Program. The program's goals were to promote employee growth, foster a deeper sense of community, and provide folks of color at HubSpot the support they need to excel in their career and really get the most out of their HubSpot experience. The program's four months long and open to anyone at HubSpot, including co-ops and interns. As part of the program, mentees get access to resources like professional development workshops, and they get assigned a mentor, usually from a different department, who can give them a bit of guidance and perspective on how they might navigate their career. I signed up to be a mentor for the program last year, and it's been one of the best experiences I've taken part of during my time at HubSpot. Naturally, you learn a lot about the person you're paired with, but it's taught me a lot about myself and forced me to reflect on my own career arc, which is something I don't always make time to do when I'm caught up in the day-to-day, and I think it's something some listeners can relate to. I'm thrilled to be joined by Lisa Fain, the CEO of the Center for Mentoring Excellence and founder of Vista Coaching. And today we're gonna cover mentorship and sponsorship. Lisa has conducted mentoring training programs for corporate, government, and educational institutions. And her passion for diversity and inclusion work has enabled her to assist mentors and mentees to understand, bridge, and leverage their differences to achieve better business results. Lisa, we're thrilled to have you here in Culture Happens. Welcome. Thanks, Chris, I'm happy to be here. So I want to first start off by just asking, like, how are you doing? How are you holding up during this global pandemic? And then maybe after that, you can give our listeners a brief overview of your background and what you do at the Center for Mentoring Excellence. Yeah, um, thanks for asking. I'm doing well. I, you know, it's hard to believe we've been at this for, I think, about 10 weeks, this this pandemic stay-at-home order. I, I live in the state of Washington. Um, so we were early in and and sort of late to, we're still, we're still at it. Um, and it's been fine, you know, it's, it's been, um, I have to say, I've learned a lot about myself. There's been some really beautiful things watching my two daughters get to spend time together uh, and build their own friendship aside from the day to day has been really a huge highlight and very heartwarming. And, um, you know, I know there's a lot of people who are hurting. So I'm feeling blessed and privileged every day um, to have this, have this time and have our health. So um, in that sense, we're doing great. And and to answer your second question, Chris, so the Center for Mentoring Excellence, we are a virtual center that provides um, holistic guidance to organizations that are looking to create more inclusive cultures and better leaders through mentoring. So what does that mean? Um, That means that we work with organizations and we do coaching, we do, uh, we help the, uh, either the D&I leader or the HR team or the talent team and sometimes C-suite leaders to really create the infrastructure and support that they need to support a mentoring program. And then of course we help organizations build and launch and execute on effective mentoring programs through training and facilitation. Thanks Lisa. And maybe tell our uh, listeners how long you've been at this, this line of work. Yeah, the center's been in business since 1992. Um, I've not been at it uh, quite that long. I joined in 2015. It was founded actually by uh, my mother, Lois Zachary, who is um, one of the world's experts on mentoring. She's written six, had written six, and now she and I have written her seventh and my first book on mentoring. Um, But I've been at this really since 2015 formally. I was 
uh, before that, leading diversity, equity, and inclusion for a publicly traded organization, um, and actually brought the center in to help launch our mentoring program for the women's group and realized that this, you know, mentoring is the intersection to me of all that's good about um, change management initiatives and uh, diversity and inclusion. And one, my mother was up there training the women in our mentoring program. I was, I had sort of an epiphany, Chris. It was really, it was, it was one of those moments where I realized that after launching lots of diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, which by the way are super important and getting leadership on board, super important. But to me, what moved the needle the most is when you have meaningful relationships at work with somebody who's different from you in a really, in a significant way, you really create this knowing and this, this, this um, intimacy, right? Appropriate intimacy, but intimacy in a workplace setting where you get to know somebody in a deeper way. And that creates cultural competency. That creates change in the workplace. And that creates, you know, allyship and advocacy um, and, you know, sponsorship and the things we're going to be talking about a little bit more today. Thanks, Lisa. I have some uh, questions later on specifically around uh, this idea of the differences between uh, your mentee and mentor and, uh, you know, why that can really make for like a really beautiful relationship between two people. Um, I don't think I knew that it was a family business. That makes the story even, even cooler. So thanks for sharing that. I want to dive into more about mentorship strategies, but first, let's take a step back and define some of the language you're going to be using throughout this conversation. Uh, the idea of mentorship has been around forever, but this idea of sponsorship has entered the conversation uh, fairly recently, and I'd love to hear your take on the similarities and differences between those two concepts. Yeah, um, it's such a great question and one I get a lot. And in fact, um, you know, we're recording this in May of 2020, but I think about almost exactly a couple of years ago, there was an article that came out called, you know, get a sponsor, not a mentor. And people were like, you know, asking me my opinion on that. And um, I think it's not an or, I think it's an and, and here's why. Let's just define that a little bit. So a, a, a sponsor is somebody who will advocate for their sponsee when he or she is not in the room, who will make sure to, um, increase the exposure of the sponsee to make sure that they have access to opportunities. This is particularly important for traditionally underrepresented people in the workplace because um, what a lot of people don't realize is that exposure in the workplace often happens when like meets like, right? Oh, you know, I, 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 I see you visually and I find a, a mode of of connection and therefore the opportunity that I'm thinking of when I'm at the water cooler or we're talking about something we have in common comes up and it may not even be an intentional bias but those opportunities are often opened up for people who are a majority representation in the workplace for people who are underrepresented women people of color LGBTQ and so forth it's extra important to have an intentional sponsor, somebody who will open up those opportunities. This idea of exposure is where sponsorship and mentorship overlap. Um, mentors, mentors absolutely help increase the exposure. Just backing up, there's three factors that contribute to success in the workplace, performance, image, and exposure. And the exposure piece is where the sponsors and the mentors overlap. The mentors extend a little bit to image and a teeny bit to, to performance. But what we know about those three success factors is, you know, well, let me ask you, in a perfect world, right, if you have three factors, performance, image, and exposure, how much should performance count for your workplace success? Uh, a fair amount. 
<laughs> yeah, right. A hundred percent. You do yeah. a good job and I do a good job. We should have entirely equal access to opportunity, right? Like right. that's it. It should matter a hundred percent. And yet what studies have shown is that performance only matters for 10%. 10%. Wow. Wow. Exposure is 60% and image is 30%. This actually comes from a study by a guy named Harvey Coleman in a, in a book called Empowering Yourself. It's not my data, but it's really powerful data. And what it reminds us is that the exposure and the image piece are absolutely essential. It's table stakes to do a good job, right? That 10% is really important because we, you have to do a good job in order to benefit from the rest of the circle. Exactly. Yeah. But sponsorship is important because it really helps create the sense of equity and this ability to have exposure. Mentorship is a little bit broader than that. Mentors absolutely create um, visibility to opportunity, but what they don't do is it's not an expectation of a role as a mentor to be at a table and advocate for his or her mentee. That's the role of a sponsor. The role of a mentor may be to say, I know about this opportunity and go back to his or her mentee and say, is this something that you're interested in? Maybe you wanna work with your sponsor on that but it's not necessarily the role of a mentor. A mentor must ask permission before advocating. A sponsor advocates by virtue of his or her role as, sponsorship, as a sponsor. So that's so interesting. I, I, I think that this is probably something that a lot of folks feel or understand implicitly, but to hear you put it into words makes it make so much sense. And I think speak to why, speaks to why these programs are so important, um, particularly in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting too, Chris, because uh, to you and I, it feels like it's self-evident. And yet there are so many people who don't understand that exposure is not something that is um, equitable across uh, populations, right? It's something that's intuitive to you as a man of color. It's intuitive to me uh, as a woman because we've seen that and we've experienced experience that, but it's not necessarily intuitive to other people. And I find when I talk about this in... Um, you know, uh, training rooms or consultations with clients, they're often surprised at how much exposure matters in terms of success and how inequitable access to exposure can be. So I think there's sometimes a lot of pressure or unknowns when it comes to uh, these mentorship relationships, really on both sides, right? Um, and as a mentor, I think one of the first questions I asked was like, what am I signing myself up for? And <laughs> you know, like I wanted to get yeah. the expectations right before I committed myself to that. And, you know, as you, as you talk through this idea of uh, what a mentor is and what a sponsor is, it sounds like those are two really different things when it comes to your responsibilities, you know, to your, to your mentee or the person you're sponsoring. As someone who may be considering entering into one of those relationships, how do you think about whether somebody's maybe best suited to just be a mentor or whether they should be really thinking about their ability to sponsor somebody? Yeah, um, it's a great question. So sponsorship is about access, right? And so if somebody is going to be a sponsor, you want to make sure that they can have, they have that, that they have the influencing abilities, they have the exposure so that they can open that up for their sponsee, right? So that's, that's, thing one. It's not to say that a mentor can't have that, but it's especially important for a sponsor to think about that piece in order to adequately do their role. For a mentor, you know, mentors say, I, I, I don't know if you thought this the first time you were asked to be a, a mentor, Chris, but what, what mentors say to me very often is, I'm afraid going in as a mentor that I don't have all the answers for my mentee. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. And um, what I say to you as a mentor, as a prospective mentor is you don't have to. 
What you have to have as a mentor are, you have to be a really good listener. You have to be curious, be able to ask questions, be invested in terms of time and effort in your mentee's success. You don't even have to know necessarily what the mentee's role is and what their work environment is. Some of the most successful mentoring relationships that I've witnessed have been cross-function or outside of organizations, cross-industry. Because yeah, it's you, almost like there's there's some like extra merit to maybe not having that bias of really knowing you know the context and the situation that this person is going through firsthand. Exactly, you're not burdened with preconceived notions about what possibility is. And I view a mentor's responsibility as um, opening up possibility for the mentee. And maybe this, I've never thought about it this way before, but maybe to articulate the distinction between sponsor and mentor in that way, that a sponsor's role is, is um, access to possibility, right? And a mentor's role is envisioning possibility for the mentee. That, that might be a, that's an interesting way. I'm, I'm gonna play with that in my head uh, now. So thank you for inspiring me to come up with that distinction. My pleasure. Lisa, uh, you mentioned something earlier uh, that I thought was uh, really, really powerful. And it was about this idea of, you know, the virtue of differences when it comes to uh, a mentor and a mentee, maybe from like a, like through the lens of identity. Um, you know, as a mentor through, you know, POCA, uh, I often get questions from white colleagues, uh, you know, asking whether they would be a good fit for the program. And, you know, the program obviously is designed to support people of color, but um, I'd love to hear you maybe explain how you think about, you know, the importance of these differences and, and, and maybe clear some of the fog there. Yeah. Um, you know, the decision whether to, um, uh, you know, uh, permit a white colleagues into a POCA program or into any program for any underrepresented identity is, is really a, a personal and a, a one for the organization, one that's really personalized to the organization. But I do see enormous benefits to having cross-identity uh, mentoring relationships, whether it's you know mentor or mentee, right? Either, either you know, it's, I'm not necessarily suggesting that um, you know a person who's underrepresented needs to be the mentee. There's a lot. It could be either way, right? And peer mentorship it can be really important there as well. But to me, the importance and the value is um, understanding difference and going from stereotype to archetype, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, a stereotype is something that we do, we humans do, because we like to make meaning of things, is we take a, uh, either no data or very, very little data, and then we make assumptions about an entire group, right, based on that very little data. An archetype is where we get some real information, right, and we use it to notice difference and to get curious about difference, right? It becomes a data point rather than something that's an extrapolation. And the beauty of cross-identity uh, uh, relationships of any kind, but, but, it, but war mentoring relationships in the workplace in particular, is that you create the sense of understanding and knowing and seeing, really seeing somebody. I mean, seeing them from your heart as well as from your eyes, right? Not to get too woo-woo about it, but that's really important. Um, in terms of creating this knowing, um, that's where you create advocacy. That's where you create allyship. 
that's where you start to have cultural change because you understand the humanity of other people and that they, we are full people um, based not just on what you see, but based on the stuff below the surface as well. So Lisa, I think when a lot of people think about mentor and mentee relationships, the obvious thing that jumps out is how that can be beneficial from a mentee's perspective. You know, you have somebody who has perspective, who's uh, willing to invest in you and, and offer you the kind of guidance you need to make the best decisions as you're navigating your career. But I don't know that people often talk about the benefits for a mentor. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a great question. I love this question because, um, you know, I hear over and over again from mentees, I don't want to bother my mentor right? It's going to be, you know, I know they're already giving of their time and, you know, I've got this question or I have some progress or something I want to bounce off them, but I just don't want to waste their time. And my answer to that is always the same, which is we've talked to hundreds and hundreds of mentors and mentors over and over again, tell us that they gain as much or more than the, from the mentoring relationship than the mentee. It's not just that it feels good to invest in somebody else's development. That's, that's important and it can be a really strong motivator, but what's gonna sustain momentum is this other stuff. And this other stuff is, mentors say it makes them better leaders. It gives them additional perspective uh, in their organization. It raises their own um, cultural competency, right? It raises their own understanding of what some barriers in the workplace might be. Um, it helps them realize their own career path and career journey, either both going forward and frankly, looking back. I don't know about you, but you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sometimes thinking, you know, what have I learned? What do I have to, what do I have, you know, what have I, what do I have to add? What do I have to give? And then when I look back and I say, wait, here's a lesson that I've learned. Here's the perspective that I have. Not only does it give me confidence in the day to day, but it helps me make better decisions and be a better leader going forward because I can recognize the benefit of my experience. There are tangible, tangible things. By the way, it also helps re-engage mentors in their own career and their own organizations, which is really, really significant, both from an organizational perspective and from an individual career perspective huge benefits for the mentor. So with that information uh, in hand, it really arms mentees to say, wait a minute, there is something in it for the mentor. And I really do want to uh, approach the mentor when I need him or her, because um, it's a benefit to both of us. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, approaching mentors. Um, how would you what advice would you give to somebody, a prospective mentee who's looking to find a mentor and to, to really start that conversation? Yeah, the first thing is not intuitive, right? It's not go out and see who you know. Um, the first thing is, what do you want to learn? Right? Because mentoring at its core is developmental. It's about learning. So in order to find the right mentor, you have to determine what your learning goal is first. You don't have to know, you know, to the you know, to the period, comma, question mark, and so forth, right? You don't have to know every great detail, but you do have to have a sense of why you want to have a mentor in the first place. Maybe it's because you want to learn to crystallize your goals, and that's okay too. So the first thing is to reflect on what you want to learn. And the second thing is to think about what kind of person, right, might have that knowledge. And by that, I mean, what, what background, what skills am I looking for? And then you get to work on finding the person, right? So, the, so that reflective stuff is really, really important. What do you want to learn and who might generally be the right fit? 
what I don't suggest you do is, you know, get on LinkedIn and start sending messages. Will you be my mentor? Will you be my mentor? Will you be my mentor? Right? Because mentorship is about building a relationship. And just as you wouldn't ask somebody to marry you on a first date, you're not going to just reach out right away and say, will you invest in me as my mentor? You're going to build a relationship first. So you might you know, say, you know, Chris, I really admire what you've been doing um, in this particular area, or I, I noticed you wrote an article on this, or I heard you on the um, Culture Matters podcast or whatever. I'd love to hear what that experience was like for you. Do you have a few minutes to chat? All right. Then you start to build a relationship and then you can determine, do you have the right, the, the, you know, the skills, the interest, is there sort of a chemistry fit? Do I have something to learn that I think I can learn from you? That kind of thing. And then you might, you know, say, wait a minute, you know, I really, I feel like um, I can learn a lot from you in the area of project management. And, um, you know, I'm really trying to develop that on my own. Would you be interested in some kind of mentorship? We can talk about what that might look like. And then you co-create the mentoring relationship, but it's not the first step to make that ask. That's really helpful guidance, Lisa. Um, one thing I noticed is that in these scenarios, these are all engagements that aren't really happening in a physical space. I think like when I think about mentoring and mentorship in the traditional sense, I kind of like imagine this image of, you know, sitting on a park bench with somebody and having like life chats. But how do you think about mentorship in, you know, this new normal? Um, and what are some tips you maybe have uh, about mentoring virtually? Yeah, it's a great, a great point. You know, I love face-to-face -face interaction. I think there's nothing better than getting energy from somebody who's sitting near you, right? And here we are in a whole new world. Um, even before the pandemic, um, virtual mentoring has been proven to be successful. So um, I don't think asynchronous is as good as synchronous, right? Um, but we, we've done mentoring um, uh, programs with United Nations Women and National Geographic where mentor and mentee are on different continents, let alone different time zones, let alone different abodes, right? And they've done, they can do so successfully. The key is managing expectations, continuous communication. You know, there's a saying that I am still trying to internalize, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, right? Which is, you know, the meaning of which is supposed to be, uh, and again, I'm trying to get there. This is like, do as I say, not as I do, right? But don't wait for something to be entirely perfect before you um, dive into it. And that's nowhere more true than in mentoring. Communication doesn't have to be perfect communication. It has to be ongoing communication. You have to stay in conversation and thankfully, Due to technology, like we are on at the moment, we're having this conversation through Zoom, um, you can do this really, really successfully. You know, there are times where mentors or mentees will say, we can't actually have a full hour long meeting regularly because we're in a sprint on a particular project or I have an illness in the family. And I always go back to that phrase, don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. Sometimes just a text to say, how are you doing on, um, you know, uh, what we talked about at our last meeting, um, you know, could be good. Um, or a check-in from the mentee, tried what you said, it was great, can't wait to talk about it. it. can be really good. You have to, you know, negotiate with your mentoring partner that texts are okay and how are we going to manage the new normal. But I actually think now more than ever, people need mentoring. They need that connection. They need that feeling of engagement. They need the um, ability to see possibility and to see beyond 
you know, this very scary near future to the long distant future. And mentoring is a great, great tool for that. So the beauty is we can do that really well um, by looking at each other's face over Zoom and sometimes even just hearing each other's voice over phone. Um, it should not be the, uh, it should not be a barrier to, to communicating. Yeah, totally. Uh, you said something in there that I thought was interesting, which is, you know, it sounds like uh, one of the key things that, uh, you know, both a mentor and mentee need to do is just be flexible around expectations and, and knowing that it doesn't need to be perfect. Um, again, expectations, I think, are something that uh, people have a lot of questions about when it comes to uh, entering into these types of relationships. And I think that there's probably a lot of anxiety around this idea of like, what happens when this relationship comes to an end or the program that you're, uh, you know, uh, participating in and that sort of guided you to this uh, mentorship experience is, is coming to a close. Like, how should people think about the best way to uh, bring that relationship to a close? Yeah. Um... You know, I, closure is so, so, so important. And, you know, in fact, we talk a lot at the center about four phases of a mentoring relationship. Um, you know, the first being sort of this preparation that we talked about. The second being um, setting expectations, or we call it negotiating enabling agreements. The third being getting to those goals. You know, I call it sort of goal setting and goal getting. And the last one being closure. And closure is really, really key. And it's one that a lot of people skip. For a lot of reasons they might say oh i'm just you know i'm continuing with my mentor mentoring relationship so i don't need closure well closure actually isn't about ending closure is about marking a milestone in a mentoring relationship it might be about ending um but it also might be you know if we say you know let's have a mentoring relationship for a year and at a year we and we decide we're going to continue we still have to have some closure on that year so it's about looking backwards what did we learn from one another it's about appreciation and appreciation in a meaningful way, not just thank you, Chris, for being my mentor, but you know, thank you for taking the time and really sharing with me your insights about how to become better at my craft. I learned this, this, and this from you, and it made a difference in this, this, and this way. And mentors sharing those same sort of learnings with their mentee, celebrating this milestone. We have come a full year. Can you believe we've been doing this for a year? What an incredible growth opportunity. We really something to celebrate and to honor our commitments to that. And then marking how we're gonna go forward. You know, there have been instances where one person wants to continue and the other doesn't think it's a good idea, not necessarily because there's any ill will, but maybe it's a bandwidth issue, maybe it's a learning issue, that kind of thing. But if you're setting the expectations up front in the relationship that you'll talk about closure at the end, and then you do it, you can do it in sort of a no fault, no foul kind of way and say, here's what we want to see uh, going forward. Um, and if we're gonna, maybe, you know, you wanna continue, but you wanna continue in a different way. We, we no longer need to meet bi-weekly. Or, you know what, I think we've gotten to a point where it feels more like a peer advisory relationship than a mentoring relationship. How about if we restructure it this way? Um, that becomes an easier conversation to have if you set that expectation up front. When you don't have a closure conversation, you know, first of all, you are missing the opportunity to mark the learning. Remember, learning is the purpose, the process, and the product of mentoring. So you don't want to miss, you don't want to squander that piece of it. That's too, it's too important. Um, and you are also, um, you know, not continuing to build a bridge to the relationship going forward. I can remember I had a mentoring relationship um, early in my career, and it was it was done. The time was the time was over. We had zero closure, and it wasn't. 
hostile. It was, there was no ill will. It just was, we just kind of both let it fizzle. And every time I saw that person, it was like this kind of like awkward, right? <laughs> like, well, what are we going to talk about now? Right. And it, and it didn't need to be that way. In fact, I would love to have continued that relationship because that particular person was somebody A, that I cared about and B, who's doing really cool things in the world. Mm. Um, but I felt like as their mentee, not having had that closure, I, I cut that opportunity off to continue the relationship in a meaningful way um, by not having that appreciation, not having that looking, looking backwards, not having that moving forward. So it's really, really an important step. So Lisa, you've taught us a lot about you know, the benefits of uh, mentorship for the individuals and the relationship. But when you're working with organizations and leaders, how do you talk about like the business impact of mentorship? Like if someone were to ask you, what's the ROI for a mentorship program in dollars and cents? I, I don't know if that's a question you get often, but like, how do you, yeah. how do you articulate that? Yeah, I, you know, it's, you know, $363.72 per mentee. No, it's, here's, here's what it is. I mean, you, there's all sorts of data that show not just that you have more inclusive work environments when you have mentoring, which, you know, there's a, there's a whole nother uh, slew of data there about the benefit of inclusive work environments, but mentoring itself increases engagement. It increases retention. It helps you attract better talent particularly better talent in the millennial and Gen Z generations, because um, again, archetypes, not stereotypes, not everybody, but what data shows about millennials and Gen Z is that there is an expectation of uh, invest, uh, that organizations will invest in their development, which usually looks like mentoring. Um, so that, that it becomes an incredible attraction tool. Um, you also see better performance within organizations there's much more accountability there is much more loyalty to an organization so better performance better engagement better team functioning because what we know is that mentoring helps mentors become better leaders but it helps mentees increase their leadership skills uh, as well which helps teams perform better so lots and lots and lots of reasons um, you know, not to mention an increase in cultural competency. I have not seen data, but I would not be surprised if there were data. This is as the former lawyer uh, myself. My instinct is that when you have more mentoring and you create better leaders, you have less instance of employee complaints, uh, less potential liability. Again, I, at, this, at this moment, I'm making it up. I've not seen that data, but I'm going to see if I can find it because it would not surprise me if that were the case as well. Totally. Like when I think back to um, some of the benefits that I personally received from, you know, being a mentee to someone, like I, th I think about the, just the pure confidence that it helped me build um, and then the trust that it helped me build, not only with, you know, my mentor, but with the organization as a whole. So I, I totally think that what you're saying uh, makes a lot of sense there. So that's a great point. Chris, and what it, what it uh, triggers for me is a benefit that I should have mentioned, but that I didn't mention, which is that what data shows us is that mentee, when there's a mentoring culture within an organization, mentees, employees are more willing to take risks, healthy risks in an organization. This is huge because uh, when you're, people are more apt to take risks in an organization, they're willing to step outside of their box, innovation, better ideas, better performance. Um, and 
mentoring really provides a mentoring relationships provide a sounding board they provide a lab if you will for mentees to try things out with their mentors that they might not otherwise be confident enough to launch so the confidence that they get leads to greater innovation it leads to more risk taking it leads to broader thinking which in turn benefits the mentee it benefits the mentor and it benefits the organization total win 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 so Lisa, you mentioned the term mentoring culture. Tell us more about like what that means. A mentoring culture is a culture not just where uh, you say that you, as an organization, that you want people to grow and learn, but where you invest the and give mentors and mentees space, give your employees space to create these mentoring relationships, where you enable the mentoring competency of all leaders, which is asking people on your team, what do you want to learn? How do you want to grow? What do you need? So it's not just using the mentoring competency in mentoring relationships, but in all aspects of leadership relationships. And that is so beautiful because what it does is it says, as an, as an employee, I am invested in you as an organization. I want you to learn and grow. Maybe you even grow out of your role. Maybe mm -hmm. you even grow out of your department, but I hope you continue to grow here so you can contribute the best that you got and bring all of who you are uh, to an organization. So Lisa, tell us uh, maybe what your favorite resources that you might recommend for um, either mentors, mentees, or even organizations who are looking to stand these kinds of programs up. Yeah, um, thanks for asking. There's um, a number of, of uh, resources that I would recommend. One is a free resource. If you go to my website at centerformentoring.com, you can sign up to get um, power questions, which are questions that can, will help you in mentoring relationships connect with your mentoring partner, but in any relationship also. It's free. Just put your name in there and it'll show up in your email inbox. The other is a book that I just recently co-wrote with Lois Zachary, who is my mother and the founder of Center for Mentoring Excellence. Um, and it's called Bridging Differences for Better Mentoring. Bridging Differences for Better Mentoring. Um, her name is Lois Zachary, mine Lisa Fain. So uh, it's available on Amazon. Um, you can also find out about it on our website. And it's really designed both for individuals and for organizations to learn the skill that we, you and I have been talking about this whole time, Chris, which is how do you um, invite differences into a mentoring relationship, right? Meaning I don't want you to come into a mentoring relationship and be the person that you think that I want you to be. I want you to be you, and right. I want you to feel comfortable telling me about your experience and my, me telling you about my experience and learning all of these pieces of you and how we can help you be the best you um, in the, you know, as my mentee. Um, but, and for mentees, how do you do that? How do, you, how do you bring that out of your mentor and into your mentoring relationships? Oh man, this conversation is the tip of the iceberg, so I'm definitely gonna go uh, pick up that book and. Um... There'll be some uh, awesome COVID reading. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, it's, it's not, it's, we use three, the power of story, which I really, I'm a big believer in the power yeah. of story. So we use three mentoring pairs as uh, stories to really illustrate how to begin to bridge differences. So I hope you get it and enjoy it. You'll have to let me know. Awesome. We'll do. Lisa, thank you so much for being here to talk about such an important topic. Um, I've learned a lot from you in just the time you've been here today. And there's a lot we can do as employers to design and support a workplace that encourages mentorship and really build this mentoring culture that you, uh, you talked about. Um, before you go, Lisa, tell us about one mentor in your life who's maybe had an impact uh, in a really meaningful way and one piece of advice they've given you that has helped you either personally or professionally. 
So, um, you know, I love, I love this question. I've had, I've benefited from formal and informal mentors in my life. And the person who um, I can think of in that context was an informal mentor. When I was uh, practicing law in a large law firm, I was, um, you know, I worked for a great law firm that I was very, I was, was actually a pretty nurturing culture for large law firms, um, but I wasn't doing work that was sort of soul work. And uh, there was a woman who came in who um, launched a training solutions. I was, I was doing employment law. And so there was a sort of a training arm and she was looking for young associates to do training. I'd never really done training or facilitation a day in my life, but something um, about me um, and her was a nice uh, chemistry. And she saw in me that I would be a good facilitator and um, that I loved being in front of a room. I don't think I knew that about myself yet. And she knew that about me. Um, and it really launched this, um, both a sense of confidence that I didn't yet have, as well as um, an open, being open to looking at the law in a different way. And how was I going to incorporate my own legal practice in a way that was more meaningful to me? So she kind of plopped me in front of a room and said, generally, here's what you do. And, you know, here you go, swim. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and it was really wonderful. And it wasn't necessarily a particular piece of advice, except that it was about always, um, you know, she said, always make your audience right. And I, I remember thinking like, mm, is that manipulative, right? I'm like, what if they're wrong? <laughs> but what, what she really meant was that everybody who's out there has a truth that they're bringing to these topics. And if you really listen to what it is that their questions are or what it is that they're saying, there's always some truth underneath it. And if I can bring that out in them, that that would, be, would make me a successful facilitator. And it's always resonated with me. Every time I go in front of a group, I remember that the participants are always right. Even if they're not factually right about a particular thing, there is a truth underneath what they're saying. And my job is to bring that out. And so uh, it's been, that was really, really powerful and really inspiring to me. Yeah, that's, that's a gem. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. So thank you to our listeners for tuning into this episode of Culture Happens, HubSpot's podcast all about the future of work and company culture. And thanks, Lisa, for joining us for today's conversation. Thanks for having me. This was fun.